You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. We got some business to take care of. We got a message and a series to wrap up tonight. So if you are ready for the word of God, make some noise in this place. I hope you're ready for the word of God. God wants to speak to you for real. Every single person, every single heart in this room, wherever you're at in your walk in life, whatever season you're in, God wants to speak to you because we serve a really good God. I don't know if, no, there was no amens for that. We serve a really good God. And not only that, but the Bible tells us that this really good God is our helper. So he wants to help you with whatever situation, whatever circumstance you find yourself in right now, whatever you're facing, he actually, just like Pastor David said, he cares about those things. In fact, I would argue that he cares about the things you care about more than you care about them. That's how good our God is. But here's something you need to know about God. God will never force you to receive his help, right? He'll never force you to trust him and to receive his help. That's on your part. So you have to let him in. You have to listen tonight. You have to lean in. And so I say all of that to say this, the way you treat the next 30 minutes really matters. It really matters. The way that you steward the next 30 or so minutes could determine the fact that you hear a word from God or you miss a word from God. And I would hate for you to leave tonight missing the God of the universe trying to get your attention Tonight, tonight's a big deal. Somebody say, it's a big deal. So this is a milestone kind of night for us because I am so excited to, to let you know that you survived the longest New Song Students series in the history of New Song Students. Would you just make some noise for yourself? You did it, y'all. You did it. You survived a nine-week-long series. Pat yourself on the back. Pat yourself on the back. And I hope... I hope that you did more than just survive through this series. I hope you're thriving. I hope that God has spoken a word to you over the last nine weeks. I hope that you are starting to see some of these qualities of Jesus in your life, amen. Amen. Now, if it's your first time here tonight, just to bring you up to speed, we are concluding a series that we've been in for nine weeks on the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit found in Galatians chapter five, We called this series series, the way of the spirit versus the way of the flesh, and we have covered a lot of ground in this series. Nine weeks, we've talked about love versus selfishness. We talked about joy versus despair, peace versus anxiety, patience versus hurry, kindness versus uh, harshness, goodness versus brokenness, faithfulness versus compromise, gentleness versus roughness. I think I said roughness twice, but that's okay. And tonight... Drum roll. Give me a drum roll, y'all. We're talking about self-control versus appetite. Ooh. Ooh. Self-control versus appetite. This is going to be a good one, y'all. I hope you're ready. I hope you brought your Bible. hope you brought your notes. And we are going to kick off this series. We're going to pay homage to the rest of the series. We're going to go back to Galatians chapter 5 which is where the fruit of the Spirit is found. Pop quiz, where's the fruit of the Spirit found? Galatians chapter five. I wanna read to you three three different sections 
from Galatians chapter five. These are my favorite parts. So we're not gonna read the whole thing. I just wanna read you three sections to help us kickstart this message. First part is in the first verse. Look at this. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Okay, that's interesting. That verse tells us you're free, so act free. You're free, so don't act like a slave anymore. Keep that in mind. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 14. For you were called to freedom. There's that word freedom again. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the what? For the what? Flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's that freedom again, and the fact that we have freedom, but we also have an opportunity to misuse that freedom. And then last verse, last two verses, 24 through 26, it says this, and those who belong to Christ, anybody belong to Christ in here? Okay, okay, so I'm talking to you. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. Amen. You guys love God's word? I do too. Let's pray before we get into this message. Invite the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts to the word he has for us. Father, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for every heart in this room. God, I thank you for the work you are doing in this house, in this family. You are doing something. We can see it right before our eyes. And we say, do it again tonight, God. Do it again tonight. Holy Spirit, come into this room. Speak to every heart. I pray that as we crack open the word of God, which is truth, and it's living and it's active, I pray that your word would do what only it can do, and it would transform every heart, every mind tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Okay, we're going to get into this juicy fruit, juicy fruit of self-control. And I would argue that self-control is probably one of the most important qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about self-control tonight. Somebody say self-control. Here's why it's really important. Because without your ability to control yourself, it's going to be really hard for you to choose to walk in any of the other fruits of the Spirit. If you can't even control yourself, you're not gonna be able to do anything that God's called you to do. It's an important fruit. And if we go into the Bible and we look at the Greek word, we're, gonna, we're already hitting you with the Greek, y'all. If we go to the Greek, the Greek word that Paul used for self-control is this word, egrate, egrate. And the picture that this word gives us is of a person who's like, mastered themselves, their body, their mind. They've mastered themselves like, like a sport or a craft. Are there any masters in the house? Any ninja masters, soccer masters, b-ball masters, any masters? This is the picture we get of self-control. In fact, one Bible theologian, he says this about this. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Igrate was widely praised by the Greeks long before the time of Paul. So this word, igrate, was used before Paul used it in this passage. In fact, ancient Greek philosophers such as Socrates considered self-control to be the foundational human virtue. Xenophon, who's ready to name their kid Xenophon, by the way? (laughs) 
Next kid, Xenophon, coming next year. No. <laughs> Xenophon, a follower of Socrates, summarized well his teacher's views on the subject. He said, shall not every man hold self-control to be the foundational human virtue, the first to lay the foundational, uh, foundation firmly in his soul. So self-control is a really big deal. And according to this guy, Philip Kennison, this scholar, he says that it's probably the most important quality that we build in our soul. But I've got some good news about self-control and I've got some not so good news about self-control. I'm gonna give you the not so good news first. You ready? The bad news is, I don't know if you noticed, but it can be really hard to control yourself. <laughs> the bad news is self-control is hard. It's hard. It can be really difficult. In fact, have you ever found yourself scrolling for too long? You're scrolling on Instagram too long. You're scrolling on TikTok too long. You're, for me, you're scrolling on YouTube too long. And what do you tell yourself? Just one more. Just one more. I'm just gonna do one more TikTok. I'm just gonna do one more YouTube video. But you say that to yourself and you know, it's not just gonna be one more, right? Because self-control is what? Is hard. Can I be real? Can I be honest with you? You wanna know where Pastor Jackson lacks the most self-control? It's without a doubt, Tex-Mex food. <laughs> Tex-Mex food, y'all. Without a doubt, this past week, Haley and I, we were in Dallas, we were seeing some family, and we were at our favorite Tex-Mex place in Dallas called Gloria's. Has anybody ever been to Gloria's? Okay, Gloria's is amazing, it's delicious. And there have been multiple occasions, this isn't just like a one-time thing, there have been multiple occasions where we go to Gloria's and I go way too hard on the chips and salsa. Has anybody ever done this before at a Tex-Mex restaurant? I go so hard, in fact, that by the time the food that I ordered comes out, it's like not even appetizing to me anymore. I'm so full of chips and salsa that I don't even wanna eat the food I ordered. That's a lack of self-control, would you say so? In fact, this last, this last week, I'm going to Gloria's with my family and I'm coming in knowing that this is gonna happen. So I come in with a game plan, all right? And I'm like, okay, I know in my past experiences with Gloria's, I go and I have four entire bowls of chips before my dinner, and so I'm stuffed. So I was telling myself, I was like, tonight, I'm gonna do one bowl, and that's it. So first bowl comes out, we eat the bowl, it goes very quickly, and then I'm like, cool, those were delicious chips. Now I'm going to wait. But unfortunately, we had like some really good service. And this dude, he was bringing out another warm, salted bowl of chips before we even finished the last chip. So he brings this second bowl out and I'm like, well, I mean, I would hate for us to not eat these and they're just gonna throw them in the trash. So like, I, I'll have just a couple more. And then by the time dinner came out, you know how many bowls I'd eaten? Like five bowls of chips. That's because self-control is hard, it's hard right? Has anybody ever heard of the marshmallow test before? Yes. You ever heard of the marshmallow test? This is, this is not chubby bunny. This is not like, this is not how many marshmallows can you put in your mouth until you can't say chubby bunny anymore. That's not what this is. The marshmallow test was actually a test that was uh, developed by psychologists in the mid-1900s. And it was developed to, to reveal 
how difficult it is for children to practice self-control and delayed gratification. And uh, you may have heard about it before. It's really simple. Basically, they would take a kid and they would stick them in a room with a table by themselves and there's a plate in front of that child and there's a little maybe jumbo-sized marshmallow on that plate and they would come and tell these kids, you can have this marshmallow or if you can wait 15 minutes, I'll come back into the room and if you haven't eaten that marshmallow, I'll give you a second marshmallow. Sounds pretty simple, right? Sounds really simple, except for the fact that self-control is hard. Self-control is hard. I brought a video clip of this test. It's very cute. I hope you're ready for it. It's actually from a show. There's a twist to this test. So it's gonna, it's gonna apply to the message you'll see, but it's a twist. It's from this show on Netflix. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it before. It's called Magic for Humans. Such a good show. But this magician, he does this, this marshmallow test with these kids. Check this out. The famous Stanford Marshmallow Experiment tests children's self-control. You have a choice. You can eat it now, totally cool, or if you can wait until I get back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. I can, I can do it. You can wait 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, by the way, if you want, you can use that cup to cover it up so you don't have to look at it. Good luck. Okay. Researchers showed that by putting a marshmallow in front of a kid and daring him not to eat it, you could tell if one day they'd be the next Steve Jobs or the next Steve Gutenberg. Now, in the original experiment, they just waited to see what happened, but I don't have the patience for that. Disappeared. The marshmallow. Would you like another one? Yeah, it disappeared. Oh, buddy, here. You want to eat this one? It's okay. Here, eat this one. You can eat this one. It disappeared like magic? Yeah. Well, eat this one. Tell me how it tastes. Good. Is it good? Well, we made a kid cry, so I'd say phase one was a success. <laughs> oh, that poor kid. That poor kid. Okay, so... That, that marshmallow test, bring it in, bring it in. That marshmallow test reveals that it is hard to practice self-control. And I think that's a really good picture of the battle that every single one of us faces when we are faced with the need for self-control. But I have one issue with this experiment. 
I have one issue with this experiment, and it's that this experiment is trying to prove something. It's trying to prove that kids who lack self-control in this test are going to eventually become people who are out of control. That's what this test is trying to prove. In other words, it's just who they are. So if they can't avoid eating the marshmallow now, that's probably just because that's how they're wired. There's nothing you can do about it. Self-control is not something you can grow. It's just you have it or you don't. And if you don't, good luck. That's what this test is trying to prove. But I've got some good news for you about self-control, New Song students. Do you want the good news about self-control? The bad news is it's hard. But the good news is that the opposite fruit of self-control is not an out-of-control person. The opposite fruit of, the, of self-control is out-of-control appetites. And if you did not get that, which a lot of you did not, I'm going to read that again. The good news is that the opposite fruit of self-control is not an out-of-control person. It's out-of-control appetites. And here's why that's good news for you, New Song students. If you are a person who has ever struggled with self-control before, which is everybody in the room, by the way, if that's you, guess what? That means you're not broken. You're not broken. Maybe you're a person who has struggled with having self-control in the area of anger in your life. And you find yourself, it's easy for you to lash out and to feel like you are out of control. Well, the good news for you is that's not because you are a broken person. The good news is that's not who you are. Maybe you struggle with a pornography addiction. Maybe you're a person who you have tried and tried and tried to willpower your way through this issue, but you keep falling into this sin over and over again. The good news is it's not because you're broken. It's not because of you. It's because of your out-of-control appetites. And before we get into self-control and what that is and how it's the way of the spirit that we're called to walk in, we gotta first understand the opposite fruit, which is the fruit of your appetite. Somebody say appetite. What is the definition of appetites? What am I talking about? Am I talking about the, the times when we wake up and we want a donut really bad? Well, sort of, <laughs> but it's not just that. Appetites are this. They're a natural desire to satisfy a bodily need a strong desire or liking for something. Now, this definition of, of appetite is pretty clear, but there are two completely different ways that we can understand this word appetite. There is a way that our culture understands this word appetites, and then there's a biblical way that we can think about this word, and guess what? The two could not be more opposite from one another because what's interesting about the difference between a worldly view of appetites and a godly view of appetites is the difference is not that one is good and one is bad. It's not like the world's view is good and God's view is bad. And if we're not careful and we view appetites as just black and white, good and bad, then we can fall into this trap that the church falls into all of the time where what ends up happening is we feel shameful and broken that we have desires in us. We feel like we're broken because we have desires those might be natural desires. Those might even be desires that God designed you to have. But we just think desire is bad, and so we feel shameful and broken, and that's not a good way to look at appetites. There's a, there's a, there's a better way. There's a much more deeper and nuanced way to talk about appetites, and so I want to unpack this 
tonight, the difference between a biblical view of appetite and a worldly view of appetite. So here's what the world says about your appetites. You ready for this? The world says people are at the mercy of their appetites. The worldly understanding of your appetite is that you don't have any power over it. You don't have any power over it. If you feel it, then you have to go for it. If, if you want that, that's what your life is about. If you desire that thing, that is what your sole purpose in life is about. It's about getting that thing. You are at the mercy of your appetites. And we live in a world that is completely run and sustained by the people who are chasing after satisfaction of their appetites. And before we get into a biblical understanding of appetite, I wanna go through how the world views this. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The world's view of appetite is number one, you are what you desire. It's your identity. You are what you desire. In other words, appetites aren't things that you feel. They're not things that you carry inside of you. That appetite is who you are. New Song students, I want you to know we are living in the middle of an identity epidemic, like an identity crisis. People today have no idea who they are. They have no idea who they belong to. And they have no idea what purpose they are on this earth for. And even though the Bible is chalked to the brim of who we are, whose we are, and why we are here on this earth, it doesn't matter because our, our, our world says that the way you feel is who you are. And, and what do you do when you are a person where your feelings don't line up with who God says you are? God says you're one thing, but you don't feel like that. What do you do? Well, our world says this. Well, God doesn't define your identity. Your feelings do. Your feelings identify you. According to the world, it doesn't matter what God says in his word. If you feel it, that's not right. Are you following me tonight? This is why our culture like fully embraces this thing like, like gender, uh, gender uh, confusion, gender identity crisis. Like, can we go there for a second, y'all? I know somebody just woke up. You're like, oh, what? We're going there. Can we go there tonight? People are growing up in our world and people are telling them this. If you feel so strongly that you were born in the wrong body, then that's your identity. That feeling in you, that's really who you are. If you feel that, then that must be because that's who you really are. Now, I recognize that this is like a massive can of worms that we could spend a lot more time on but I think it's important that we go here for just a second. Because the way that our culture understands gender says a lot about the way that our culture understands appetites. The world we live in says, if you feel like you were born in the wrong body, then that's who you are. But according to God, identity has nothing to do with how I view myself. It actually has everything to do with how God views me. It's how God views me. That means that who we are and how we feel, they actually don't have to match up. They aren't the same because feelings are not dictating my identity. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Here's what I'm not up here saying. I'm not saying that those desires, that a person who struggles with that, I'm not saying that those desires are fake. I'm not saying that they're making up that feeling. Please hear me. I'm not saying that, that that struggle is fake and they just need to get over it. 
Because the reality is we live in a really fallen and broken and sinful world. And I don't know why people struggle with something like that. There could be a handful of reasons. It could be because of trauma in their life. It could be because of that's just their sinful bend. You know, we all have a sinful nature and it bends towards a specific sin. All of us do. It could be because of that. It could be just because of how much it's talked about in our society. It could be because of demonic oppression. There's a lot of different reasons why somebody might struggle with something like that. And I'm not up here saying that it doesn't exist because the feeling is real. The problem though, isn't the feeling. The problem is how our culture views that feeling. Because our culture views that feeling as this, if the appetite is there, then that is who you are. If the feeling is there, that's your identity. That's the worldly view. Number one, you are what you desire. Number two is this, are you guys following me? Number two is this, you will never be truly happy until you satisfy that desire. You will never be truly happy until you get that thing, fill in the blank. This is how our world sees desire and appetite. You are the thing that you want and you're never actually gonna be your true self until you get that thing. The greatest virtue in our world today is not to serve one another, it's to be happy. It's to get the things that you want. And 2 Timothy 1, or 3 says this, verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will become times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It's kind of weird to think about how much that description from the Bible of the last days matches up with the world that we live in today. Man, our world champions those who are willing to do whatever it takes, not for the good of others, but for the satisfaction of their appetite. This is the kind of person that our world champions. But you know what the Bible calls this? This action of satisfying only our physical and temporal desires. The Bible calls this chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. Now, y'all know we live in windy Oklahoma, right? I want you to picture this with me for a second. You and I, we're at the park. It's a windy Oklahoma day, super windy. Y'all remember festival? That was the windiest day I've ever been at in Oklahoma. It was terrible. I was like trying to eat my tacos and the taco meat was just flying out. Okay, so imagine we're at a park and it's a windy day in Oklahoma. And I look to you and I'm like, hey, you see that wind over there? And you look over there and you're like, uh, sort of. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, just the wind. Like, you see the wind over there? It's going that way. Could you just go over there and grab me some of that wind and bring it back to me? Okay, why is this a ridiculous request? Because it's impossible. You can't chase the wind. You can't see the wind for starters. And then even if you were able to see the wind and you were able to get it, you can't catch the wind. And here's the difficult trap that we can easily fall into with our appetites. The appetites that we feel in our life, they exist. They exist, they're real, they're in us. But what we gotta understand is that happiness 
does not come from those appetites being met. Like your happiness will not be quenched when you finally make that team that you really want to be on. It just won't happen. Your, your, your happiness will not be met when you finally get the boyfriend or girlfriend of your dreams. It just won't happen. That new video game, it'll make you happy for a day or two, but it will not satisfy your need for happiness. That dopamine hit, when you do whatever you do, that makes you feel good. I'm telling you, nothing will satisfy the appetite that has been placed in us. It just won't. Why? Look at this. First John 2 says this. It says, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever abides in the will of God abides forever. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, I love this passage. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. I love that. God says the world and everything in it, there's real beauty to it. But look at the very next verse. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He has put eternity into your heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So check this out. Our world says you should spend your life pursuing the satisfaction of the feelings that you feel. That's what your life is about, satisfying the feeling that you feel in your gut. But this is the same exact thing as chasing the wind. Why? Because the human heart has an eternal desire that will never be met or satisfied by temporary things. The only thing that will satisfy our heart is a relationship with the eternal God. Like it's not, there's nothing, I'm telling you, there is nothing in this world that can make you totally content and happy. Nothing. I just got some new clothes last month. And you know what? They made me happy. It's okay to be happy. My wife, Haley, is amazing. She makes me happy. These things aren't bad. Chips and salsa from Gloria's makes me happy, y'all. These things aren't bad, but a life that is driven by the satisfaction of my appetites, listen to me, is a life that will never be satisfied. John Tyson says this, I love this quote. He says, seeking to fulfill our own desires often leads to slavery to them. It's because God has put eternity into our hearts. Like, think about that for a second. Right now, you live, you don't live in eternity yet, but right now in the temporary world that we live in, there's eternity in your heart. Like that doesn't even make sense to me, <laughs> but God's word says it. Yeah. There is eternity in our heart. That means even if you and I had the ability to have everything that we could ever want on our, on our Christmas list, everything, all the money in the world, all the relationships, if we were to have that right now, guess what? Without a relationship with God, you would still not be happy. Yeah. Yeah. You would still not be satisfied. It's because our physical, our emotional, our spiritual appetites that we all have will never be fully satisfied until we jump 
headfirst into a relationship with God. And I'm not talking about like you go to church twice a week and you try to be a nice person. <laughs> I'm talking, you know God. Like you don't just know God is your father up in here in your head. You actually live your life like he's your father. That is the only thing that will ever satisfy us New Song students. I hope this is waking somebody up tonight. And so I think the question that we have is this. We have these appetites. They're real. So what do we do with them? What do we do with these appetites? Because they exist. Well, the world tells us what? The world tells us, well, that's, your, that's who you are. And you need to chase after that desire until uh, you get it. Because once you get that desire, then you'll be free. Then you will finally be all that you wanted to be. But what ends up happening is like what John Tyson said. We just become a slave to those appetites. And then religion, check this out. I want you to lean with me. Religion tells us to do the opposite thing. Religion tells us to deny that you have desires. <laughs> Pretend that they're not there. Stuff them down as far down as you can and hope to God that they don't show up in your life. It's kind of like that marshmallow test we saw. We put a cup over our desires and we just, we hope that when we lift the cup, the desires are gone. But guess what? They're still there. The desire is still going to be there. So what do we do? Well, this is where the third option comes into play and it's self-control. It's the way of the spirit of self-control. What is self-control? Self-control is this. It's sacrificial stewardship of myself for the sake of others. Sacrificial stewardship of myself for the sake of others. Here's what I'm not telling you tonight. Self-control is not like you and I being able to wait long enough so God gives us a second marshmallow in our life. <laughs> like that's not what self-control is about. Self-control is recognizing that the way that my appetites are satisfied affect the people in my life the way that I go about satisfying the desires in my heart is going to affect my family and my friends, good or bad. That's what self-control is. Are y'all okay if we keep reading the word tonight? Okay, I wanna look at Jesus because Jesus is amazing. And Jesus is the best person that we can look at when it comes to the way of the spirit, walking in self-control. And in Matthew chapter four, there's an amazing passage where Jesus has to practice self-control. Check this out. It says this, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that little, <laughs> he was hungry. Like, no duh, Matthew. Of course he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Look at how the devil pulls out scripture. The devil's like, oh, you pull out scripture? I can do that too. He says, he will command your angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, it is also written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took the Lord to a very 
tall mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship, or you shall worship, definitely want to worship, the Lord, your God, and him alone shall you serve. The devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Okay, I love this story. I love this story. We are given a front row seat to the greatest battle between appetites and temptation in the history of mankind, and Jesus wins. Like we are brought into like a reacting of of Genesis two and three, except with a different ending. Because instead of Jesus being tempted by the devil and then sinning like Adam and Eve did in the garden, Jesus faces temptation. He faces it while he's hungry. And then he still trusts God, practices self-control for the sake of others. Not just others like a few people, others like mankind. This is what we just saw. Now there are two quick things little mini points that kind of jump off the page at me when I read this story. The first one is this. We discover what kind of person needs to walk in self-control. And guess what? It's not just your sibling who annoys you. It's not just that person who who gossips a little bit too much. It's not just you because like your, your parents said you have an addictive personality. Listen to me. What kind of person needs self-control? every kind of person, every kind of person. Think about it. Jesus is the perfect type of person, and yet we still find Jesus needing self-control. Look at what David Guzik says. He said, we should consider the circumstances that preceded the temptation of Jesus. He was in an especially devout frame of mind before his temptation. He was engaged in an act of public obedience to his father, He was in an exceedingly humble frame of mind. He was blessed. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was completely separate from the world. So listen to this. Jesus, in this moment of needing self-control, he's in the best possible scenario you could possibly have to be in. He's devout in his mind. He's engaged with God. God approves of him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's not even around sin. And Jesus still needed self-control. New Song students, if Jesus needed self-control, how much more do we? This is actually really encouraging to me because that means even if I am growing in the Lord, it's not bad if I'm tempted. Let me say that again. Even if I'm growing in the Lord, I'm not broken when I'm tempted because self-control is always needed. Self-control is not something we grow out of in our walk with God. It's something we grow into. The second thing that we discover in this story is when the enemy likes to tempt us. I heard a pastor talk about this one time. He was talking about pastors and ministers who have fallen into sin and he says that every time that happens, it was in a, in a B-halt moment. It's an acronym, a B-halt moment. What does that mean? Bored, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Bored, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And this is exactly true, because look at this. Matthew 4, 2 says, 
after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and then the tempter came. So the enemy did not play nice with Jesus. And guess what? The enemy will not play nice with you. He is waiting for a be-halt moment in your life. He's waiting for you, to, for you to be bored, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, and that's when he's gonna throw the temptation at you. And I bet if all of us were to take an analysis of our walk with God and look at all of the times that we've fallen into sin and didn't practice self-control, I bet you it was when you were bored, hungry, alone, angry, or tired. I bet that's when it happened. So what does that tell us? We need to be aware of these moments in our life. We need to be aware of these moments because these are the very moments when the enemy is gonna try and push you with temptation. But if you are aware that these are the moments when you need self-control, you can be ready to brace that push of temptation. Is this good stuff? As we get ready to close, I wanna give you two points about self-control that we learn from Jesus. Ben, you can wait a second. I'll tell you to come up. Two points that we learn from Jesus. These aren't the only two things we learn from Jesus. We could spend an entire series on this story, but these are two things that I think will help us. The first one is this. Number one, Jesus was in the right place at the right time. Jesus was exactly where he needed to be. And listen, this is kind of weird because even though he was in the wilderness, even though he was alone and he was hungry and uncomfortable, he was exactly where he needed to be. And some of us are like, well, hold on. Jesus is perfect and he's perfectly following God. Shouldn't he be like blessed and highly favored and have lots of money? <laughs> but Jesus finds himself in the wilderness and this is exactly the right place he needs to be in. Why? Well, we, we find out the answer in verse one of this story. Look at this. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What does that tell me? Jesus wasn't in the wilderness because he wanted to. Jesus wasn't in the wilderness because he decided, oh, this is gonna be a good idea for me to prove to God how awesome I am. He wasn't in the wilderness because he was you know, annoyed with people and needed some space. No, he was in the wilderness because the spirit led him there. Jesus had real appetites, just like you and me, but guess what? He wasn't identified by his appetites and his life wasn't driven by his appetites. He was driven by the spirit. And you know what's crazy? There's an interesting story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 where we find a similar story, but with two different outcomes. And what's crazy is both stories involve godly men. Both stories involve temptation, but only one story involves self-control and it's with Jesus. And if you don't know, this story I'm talking about is David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba, we know the story. David is in his own palace. He walks out, sees Bathsheba bathing, uh-oh. And we know the rest of the story. It's not pretty. He definitely doesn't practice self-control in this story. And listen to this, this is crazy. In the same way that the opening in Matthew chapter four shows us that Jesus even though he's in the wilderness, is in the right place. The opening of 2 Samuel chapter 11 shows us that David, even though he's in his own castle, is in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse one says this, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. 
David sent Joab and his servant with him and all in Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He's in his own place that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Students, my question to you tonight is this. It's really simple. Are you in the right place? Because there's a good chance that the place that you're at, you could have arrived there, not because the spirit drove you there, but because your appetite drove you there. Are you in the right place? Did the Lord lead you to the relationship that you're in? Did the Lord lead you to the friends that you have at your school? Did the Lord lead you to download that app on your phone? Did the Lord really tell you that you need to tell that person that thing about that other person? Did God tell you to say that? Did the Lord tell you that you should leave your phone next to your bed when you know that's where you struggle? Are you following me tonight? This is where sacrificial stewardship of ourself for the sake of others starts. Self-control starts with being in the right place at the right time. And the second thing is this, I wanna invite the band to come up. Jesus had an appetite for the word that was stronger. He had an appetite for the word that was stronger. Verse number three, look at this. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus, when, when Satan comes to him, he's not like, dang, Satan, you right. Like I am really, I am really hungry. And I, I could really use some bread right now. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus responded to the temptation by reminding the enemy that his appetite for the things of God was greater than his appetite for physical bread. Look at this, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, having his needs met, Jesus, having his needs met apart from God, it was not appetizing to him. It was not appetizing to him. Jesus wanted the bread of life that came from God more than he wanted anything that this world has to offer students. My question to you tonight is, how's your appetite with the word of God? Are you hungry for the word of God? Is your hunger for the word of God stronger than your appetites being met by anything else but God? Here's the, the bad news is the bad news is if it isn't stronger, then you will live your entire life never satisfied. You will be stuffed full of the things of this world, but you will still be hungry. But this is the best news. And I hope you lean in for this. The good news is that all appetites, good and bad, all appetites are acquired tastes. Meaning that whatever appetite you have and that you feed, it's gonna grow. So if you have appetites for the things of the flesh and you continue to feed them, they're gonna grow and the things of the flesh are gonna continue to look more appetizing to you. But if you feed your spirit and you continue to feed your spirit, it's an acquired taste. The more you feed it, the more you're gonna want it. The more you feed it, the more you're gonna want the word of God. It's kind of like this. I'm a, I'm a crazy person. I know there's some crazy people in the room who drink their coffee black. Anybody drink their coffee black? I know David does. We drink our coffee black and, and nothing in it, no sugar, no nothing. Now. 
I would be lying to you if I told you that the first time I drank black coffee, I loved it. I didn't, I hated it. I just wanted to be cool. So I forced myself to drink black coffee. But you know what's funny? When I first started drinking black coffee, it was nasty. It was nasty. It was like drinking hot, muddy water. But you know what? It's an acquired taste. So the more I kept drinking it, the more I started to enjoy it. Not only that, the more I started to, to enjoy it, the more I started to be able to tell, okay, this is good coffee and this is bad coffee. Not only that, I've gotten to the point now where I've drinking so much black coffee. I don't know if this is a, a good thing or a bad thing, but I can start to tell like the notes in coffee. You know how some coffee bags have notes on them? It's like this coffee has notes of strawberries in it. Sometimes I can find those strawberries. <laughs> but hey, hey, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. I've trained my appetite. I've trained my appetite. I didn't start loving it, but I love it now. New Song students, I am here to encourage you tonight. You have the ability to train your mind. You have the ability to change your appetites. You might be here tonight and you have such a strong appetite for things that are hurting your life. I've been there before. There was a season in my life where I had such a strong appetite towards lust, it was ruining my life. But guess what? God is so good and the word is so powerful that my, my, that appetite, it is not appeasing to me at all. It's because my mind has been renewed by the word of God. And this can happen for you too. You can grow a love for the word of God. Romans 12, two says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing, by temptations, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Students, your hunger for the word of God has to be stronger than the hunger for the things of this world. And if it's not, that's okay. You can change that. You have the ability, it's an acquired taste. My encouragement to you is to feed your spirit. Feed your spirit. I wanna end with this and then we can close. Self-control isn't about striving to become the person God has called us to be. It's about ordering our life around who God has already made us to be. Self-control is not us trying to be like Jesus, it's us ordering our life like we are the righteousness of Jesus, because we are. So what are you gonna do about it? What do you need to change? Tonight, I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes tonight.